0: morning, church. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and look in Isaiah chapter 9 is where we're going to start in just a minute, so go ahead and find your place there. And uh, I want to say to you, Merry Christmas. The season is here. I hope you're ready. Uh, a lot of signs around us that the Christmas season is upon us. All the lights and the music and shopping is full bore and uh, fist fights are breaking out at Walmart. You know, all those things that remind us that Christmas is here. And uh, I think there's another distinct reminder that always reminds me. Yesterday was our family's yearly tradition of Daddy risking his life trying to hang Christmas lights in front of the house. And uh, maybe some of you guys can relate to that. I, if somebody could tell me, in fact, I said earlier to the worship team before the service started, before I stand up and preach this morning, I might need to publicly confess because I got a little frustrated yesterday. If somebody could explain to me why lights work perfectly when they're laying on the ground, and you raise them up, ascend—you know, you're hanging in mid heaven, fifteen feet up, your life in the balance—you plug them in, and the doggone things just choose to not work. If somebody could tell me why that happens that way, I would be a happy man this morning. Um, I also thought of a verse when I was hanging on the ladder. You know, with a little spiritual tone into it. The verse was this: "You're thinking, oh, this should be good." Uh, 2 Corinthians says the, uh, the, the devil masquerades as an angel of light. Well, I think he masquerades as an angel of Christmas lights, is what I think. Those fuses are just not very trustworthy. So anyways, Christmas season, great, great time of the year, my favorite time of year. I love it. I love it for our family. I love it for my church family. So we're going to start this morning really a series um, it's really a, a, a pattern now for our church that this time of year we'll walk through something called Advent as a church family that will carry us all the way up to Christmas, Christmas Eve. It's a unique year. Christmas actually falls on Sunday this year. We'll talk more about that later. Uh, but Advent is what we're starting today and uh, something I'm really, really excited about. The word Advent means coming. Uh, the word Advent is really a season For the church, it's been celebrated for hundreds and hundreds of years by the church, has celebrated this time of year as particularly an opportunity to look back at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what we do at Christmas, but also Advent is a looking forward to the coming, the Advent, the coming of Jesus. There is a day, by the way, maybe you need to be reminded of this this morning, that King Jesus is coming to make everything right. He's going to set all things right. And we look toward that. So we kinda live in the valley now of the already, Jesus has come, and the not yet, he's not come again. That's where we kind of live. We're waiting, looking, longing for that return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we want to help you during this season to be a time of growth and a time of ministry and mission for you. So let me just quickly point out some resources that we've made available to you and your family. One of them is this really helpful reading guide. It begins on December 1st, take you all the way through December 25th, Christmas. Uh, several verses that you could read each day that kind of go along with the Advent plan. Also will tie into the weekend message. Uh, you can pick these up out on the uh, little stool out there, a little table as you go out. And also, in a great resource that's online for you, it takes these 25 days, beginning with December 1st, there's a fantastic devotional guide online. It's too large to print, uh, for you to use personally, for you to use in the life of your family. I encourage you to check that out on our website. It's uh, great resources there to help you pursue growth in the Lord Jesus and His Word this season. And then also... Among all the other propaganda that's out there this morning, uh, we have these little invite cards. Now, these are for you to grab a handful of these as you go out. Um, Christmas Eve is going to be a big service for us here. All campuses or both campuses are coming together, and we're going to celebrate the birth of the Lord that night. It's going to be a very clear message of the gospel and encouraging you. To bring your lost friends and your neighbors, especially those three that maybe you're praying for, might be the next step in that process that you're in. You know, the end game is not to get your lost friends in front of Pastor Mike so he can share the gospel. That's not the point. Uh, We are all the missionaries, we're all God's evangelistic tool, but we're going to help that night. Invite your friends, Uh, we're going to clearly share the message of Christmas, the gospel. And then encourage them to have conversations with you. Ongoing gospel conversations that might be prompted and spurred on that night. It's this a little tool. Pick up some of these as you go out at both exits uh, this morning. Okay? All right. Isaiah chapter 9. If you haven't found your place there, go ahead and do that. We're going to start there this morning and bounce around a little bit as we begin our Advent series. Uh, one of the words ideas, concepts that's really well known and has a lot to do with the idea of Christmas and Advent is simply the concept of hope. Hope. A lot of things promise hope. A lot of things you are told and encouraged to put your hope in. It's very clear at the season of Christmas you are bombarded with commercials and advertisements and things promising a better future, this gift, this relationship, this diamond ring, whatever it is, and nothing wrong with gifts at all. But the question for us is, in what are we placing our hope? Book of Isaiah chapter 9, there is a promise from God, a promise of hope. Now, what's important is in the context of Isaiah chapter 9, you need to know what comes before it to understand the significance of it. God, through the prophet Isaiah, is letting his people Israel know that a foreign enemy is coming. The Assyrians, if you will, are coming, and they're going to come into Israel. They're going to take Israel captive. There's going to be devastation. In other words, there are some dark days coming ahead. And in the midst of that context, God is going to give a promise of hope that is to rise up out of the darkness as something to hang on to. It's a hopeful promise from God. Now, I want to read this to you, Isaiah, beginning in chapter 9, verse 1. I'm going to skip around a few verses, and here's what the Bible says. You can follow along on the screen. If you need a copy of God's Word, it's in the seat pocket in front of you. Verse 1 says, Nevertheless... Now that's there, and now you know why. In light of all that God has just previously said about the coming doom, the coming judgment, if you will, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, He, God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. What in the world does that mean? That's two of the tribes of Israel. Those were the northernmost tribes. When the nation of Assyria would come in, that would be the two places that would be hit first. They would receive the brunt of this enemy power coming in and taking over. So as in the past, God had humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nathalie. But in the future, he will honor Galilee. Galilee is that entire region. We. A few of us from this church toured Israel a few weeks ago. We were in the land of Galilee. And he's saying this land of Galilee that's going to experience distress, is going to experience an incredibly dark day, is going to be honored by the Lord. And then he calls Galilee something incredible. He says, Galilee of the nations, meaning... What God is going to do in Galilee is going to have ripple effects to all the nations of the world. Now what is it He's going to do? Verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness a light has dawned. Why? Verse 6, for unto us a child is born. And to us a son is given. Now this is still prophetic language, it hadn't happened yet, but the author is saying it as if it had happened in the sense of certainty. A son is born, a child is given, and the government is going to be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David, and you can read the rest of it. We'll come back to it in just a minute. Right here in the middle of a context of darkness is a message of hope and a promise. Now here's what I know about you and here's what's true of everyone in this room this morning. Every single one of us are hoping in something. You are placing your hope in something or in someone. We're wired that way. Maybe you're placing your hope in something like, man, I... You would say this, I hope it's going to be good weather. Or I hope my team is going to win the Super Bowl. Or maybe something like this. You're placing hope in what the season of Christmas is going to bring. Maybe you're hoping for some reconciliation of relationships. Maybe you're hoping this, just that the family is gathered. Maybe you're hoping some family members will leave. I don't know, whatever the case is. Maybe you're hoping in that right relationship or that new relationship. Maybe you're hoping in that job or maybe that gift that you've, been pro- or that you've been longing for. And here's what we think. Here's what we do. Whatever we're placing our hope in, we're believing and trusting that it's going to bring about a better future. And things are going to get better. And here's what we're, here's what we're trusting. Whatever we're hoping in, we're hoping and thinking and believing, I'm going to have some satisfaction finally. My soul will be less agitated. I will be less uh, hindered. I'll be less constrained. I'll be less worried. I'll be less anxious. I'll be less... All oh, You fill in the blank. And there's something or someone right now you're putting your hope in. Here's the reality. If you miss everything else this morning, I hope you get this out of the Advent series. Ready? Most often in this life, we place hope in temporary things. Now... Temporary things are not wrong in and of themselves. I love Christmas gifts. In fact, buy me a Christmas gift. I have a Christmas list on Amazon.com. You go check it out. Nothing wrong with Christmas gifts. Here's the idea though. Watch Temporary things will only satisfy, watch this, temporarily. When you are fixing or setting your hope on something less than what is eternal, then you will come to the place where you are empty and discouraged and frustrated and not understanding why did this thing or this person not grant me what it promised. Temporary things can only satisfy temporarily. You are created and wired in the very image of God. And according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, God has planted eternity in your heart. And ultimately, we enjoy temporal things. We have temporal things by the good graces of God, but our soul is ultimately longing for what is eternally of value and meaning. And we continue to long for that. Put it this way we are hardwired to long for deeper satisfaction than temporary things can ever give. There is a phenomenon, psychologists will tell you it's something called the post Christmas blues. <laughs> And the post-Christmas blues come from where we got the gift, the family was gathered, I had all those things that were promised to bring me this soul satisfaction, and now they're all gone, or I I maybe even have this gift I wanted. Why am I still so agitated? Or why is my soul not satisfied like that diamond commercial said I would be? God has hardwired you and me for eternity and only those things of ultimate meaning and value will satisfy our souls eternally. Now the good news is for us as the people of God, the Bible alone holds out the message of where we find eternal hope. For hearts longing for something more. Here's what Scripture tells us. Matthew 12, 21. In his name, the name of Jesus, the nations, that's us, the nations of the world, will put their hope. 1 Timothy 1.1 says it this way. We just studied this a few months ago. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. Hebrews 6.19 says this, this Hope, which we have as an anchor of the soul. Don't you love that? The scripture is telling us there is a way, there is hope that is so sure and so real and so eternal value. It is like an anchor. You know what an anchor is? An anchor keeps a boat from drifting, it keeps it steady. Your souls wander, our souls drift, our souls go up and down and wonder and anxiety and pressure and dread and fear. We just sing about it. There's an anchor. So what is that hope? Well, the word hope, the biblical concept of hope, is so much more than wishful thinking, (laughs) Anytime the Bible uses the word hope, it's not the idea of this. Man, I really hope Tennessee goes to a bowl game. Because you don't know if it's going to happen or not. I mean, they got beat by Vanderbilt. Probably not. Who knows? Biblical hope is a lot more than wishful thinking. Biblical hope can be defined as this. It is, go ahead and put that definition up. It is confident assurance of what the future holds rooted in. In the unwavering promises of God. In other words, the, the hope that the Bible's talking about is like an anchor. It is sure, it is steady, it is unwavering, it is rooted in what God says it's not just wishful thinking. If you go day to day and all you have to hang on to is wishful thinking, then you are going to be wavering back and forth from grief and joy and despair and distress. God says, no, there's more. There's an unwavering hope that is the anchor of your soul. So the question I have this morning is just one question, and then we're going to try to answer it with two biblical truths, is this. Okay, Pastor Mike, I get this idea of hope I get the idea that we tend to fasten our hearts on things that are not really going to provide long. I get Advent. Season of Christmas. Here's the question. How does Jesus the Messiah give us hope? And I'm not even talking here as much in the sense of, yes, salvation, and yes, eternal life, ultimate hope. I'm talking to believers primarily, because even as believers, we know Christ, He is our hope, we know He is our life, and yet we so easily allow our hearts to drift and think temporary things are going to give eternal satisfaction. Our hearts drift. Advent is a time to tune our hearts to that which provides ultimate hope. So how does Jesus the Messiah give us hope? I'm going to give you two truths. Here's truth number one is this. Truth number one, the birth of Jesus assures us that God keeps His promises. Okay, what, what do you mean by that? Well, Isaiah nine six, we read it earlier. It says, "For unto us a child is born." You, other translations say, "For unto us a child will be born," future tense, "a son will be given to us." So God makes a promise here in the Book of Isaiah, seven hundred years before it actually happened. But that's not the beginning of the promise. It was promised by God way before Isaiah. So what do you mean? The birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of a promise made thousands of years before Genesis three fifteen. Listen to this verse. In a very dark context, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had just sinned. Sin has entered the human race. Adam is off cowering in the corner of the Garden of Eden trying to cover his own sin. God comes into the Garden. He's fearful. He's hiding himself. And God speaks and makes a promise. He's speaking to Satan himself. And he says this, Genesis 3, 15. And I will cause hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, Eve. What does that mean? And between your offspring and her offspring. It's going to be generational. He, in other words, a singular male child, a descendant, is going to be born. And this descendant is going to strike Satan himself on the head. A death blow to Satan. And you, Satan, you will strike him on the hill. It's going to affect him. It's going to be hurtful to him. But it's a death blow to Satan, if you will. It's all that about. God's plan, the promise was given here in the midst of darkness. There was hope given, rooted in the promise of God. God's plan was centered around there would be a man. He would be God. He would enter the human race board of a woman. He would do battle with Satan. He would strike a blow against Satan, but it would not defeat him forever. He would crush Satan in his power. Thousands and thousands of years ago, God made a promise that a son, a child, was coming. Now, give a little clarity to it. Isaiah seven fourteen of this promise says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child to bear a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so this promise is going to be supernatural. I don't know if you know it or not, but... Virgins don't give birth every day. It doesn't happen, right? But in this case, it's a supernatural promise by the power of God. And his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is going to step into humanity and take on flesh. God promised that. Then he even gives a little more clarity to the promise that Micah five two says. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, you who are too little among the clans of Judah, for you shall come forth, or from you shall come forth one from me who will be a ruler in Israel. His comings forth are from old and from everlasting. What does that mean? God in his this is very encouraging for us. Listen, God in his promises, God in his plans is is faithful to the most minute detail because He even says this child is coming. He will be God-man. He will be born of a virgin. And I'm even going to tell you the town He's going to be born in. It may not seem like it to you at times in your journey when you are hanging on to the promises and faithfulness of God. A verse like this should remind you, listen, God is absolutely faithful to you and His promises rooted in His Word to the very last detail. Detail. I'll tell you what, Pastor Mike, 2016 sure doesn't look like that to me. It's been a rough year. I'm not sure God will be faithful to His promises. You need the season of Advent just like I need the season of Advent to retune your soul, to be reminded without question. When you see the baby in the manger and we sing, O Holy Night, it is the fulfillment of a promise of God to the very last detail. God keeps His promises to you, brothers and sisters. Advent is to remind us of that. Matthew chapter 1. Let me, let me just quickly show you that. Flip over to Matthew so you can just see it really quick. We'll do this hurriedly. Matthew chapter 1 is a section of your Bible that probably you read over or maybe you get to it and you say, well, I'm going to skip on to the next chapter because it's the genealogies, right? Begat this, beget uh, these lines of who had this child. And you, can, Oh, man. Genealogies are fascinating because each one of these people has a story attached to them. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. It's the story and the fulfillment of the promise down to the actual parent and grandparent. It doesn't have all the... Uh, Parts of the genealogy begins at verse 2 with Abraham. It goes all the way to the Messiah in verse 16. And what I want you to see is in this list of people, God's plan spans thousands of years. It has kings and rulers. There were supernatural signs and wonders. It involves shepherds. It involves farmers. It involves some really messed up people. You say, I know God keeps His promises. I get that, Pastor Mike. But sometimes it just seems like messed up people, me included, have, a, have the potential of messing up God's plan and messing up God's promises. Let me tell you something. In Matthew chapter 1, there are, there are plenty of messed up people. That's the point. Abraham tried to come up with a plan better than God, and instead of trusting God for Isaac, the promised son, he went and... Had a a date, if you will, and fooled around with his handmaid, Hagar, and tried to help God out. That was never God's plan. You say, Did that thwart God's plan? No way whatsoever. What about Jacob? Jacob was an upstanding guy, right? Jacob was a deceiver who tricked his own brother to steal the birthright from his own brother. David, a man after God's own heart. Yeah, a man who committed adultery and then covered it up with murder. What about Solomon? He was the wisest man who ever lived. Solomon had hundreds of wives. Solomon became an idolater. What about Manasseh? Manasseh's got to be a godly man. Well, Manasseh was a man whose name is synonymous with evil. He was an idolater in his day. Now, God did great work through this. The point is even the brokenness and failures of men and women cannot thwart God's plan. Because some of you are thinking, man, I am hanging on to the promise of God that's rooted in Scripture. God hasn't come through on His promise yet. Maybe somebody got in the way that messed it up. You have in Matthew chapter 1 a plan over thousands of years that involved a lot of messed up people and God fulfilled His promise to the most minute detail. Therefore, brothers and sisters, the time of Advent is to look back at the birth of Jesus and be reminded as an anchor to your soul, I can place my hope in the promises of God. Because God will absolutely keep His promises to His people. That should strengthen us. Advent is also looking forward. First truth is, okay, we can look at the birth and know that God keeps His promise. Truth number two is this, okay, the birth of Jesus gives us assurance in God's promises for the future. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? Well, Back to Isaiah 9. You don't have to turn there. I'll just show you on the screen. But verse 6, he said, again, parts of this passage in Isaiah have been perfectly fulfilled, but there's a lot that's not fulfilled yet. Verse 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Check. Got that. Messiah has come, born. And the government will be on his shoulders. Well, that's not happening. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I don't know if you've been watching the news lately. Not a lot of peace. The greatness of his government and peace, there'll be no end. He'll reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever and ever. In other words, this hasn't happened. This hasn't come to fulfillment. Watch. Not yet. Not yet. See, for you and me as children of God, we look back at the promises of God's fulfillment and we live in the valley, if you will, of the not yet, looking and waiting for the day when King Jesus returns. And the same assurance that we have when we look back and we celebrate Christmas and we say, yeah, God keeps His promise, the exact same assurance is for us in the future as we trust God to, watch, keep His promises in the future. I'll give you an example. Romans 8.18. Paul writing, and he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, we live in the not yet, all that we experience, all the highs and lows and all the challenges that the people of God experience, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory That is to be revealed to us. There is glory that awaits the people of God. Paul says in other places that mind has not conceived, eye has never seen nor ear heard. All that God has for his people, all the glory that God has for his people that we wait for and we long for, and it is in those things that our soul will find eternal satisfaction. Temporary things satisfy temporarily. The blessings and favor and promises of God satisfy eternally. There is a day coming when King Jesus comes and all of that will be ours. But not yet. Not yet. Philippians 3.20 says it this way. It says, our citizenship is in heaven now. Citizens of an eternal kingdom. Children of God, like we just sang about, from which we eagerly wait for a Savior. There's that longing, that tension we feel. We're waiting for something. We're We're waiting for a person. The Lord Jesus Christ, verse 21, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Listen, beloved, there's a day coming. We now walk by faith. We are now citizens of an eternal kingdom by faith. There is, now, there is a day coming when faith will become sight. There is a day coming when this old, tired, worn out, weak body that really wants to sin most of the time and is so tempted by all the junk of the world and just struggles and you struggle too, we receive a new glorified body and we see Jesus as He is and there's no struggle with sin and we're able to know Him and glorify Him in all Of that glory of that eternal body someday. But not yet. Not yet. It's coming. Revelation 21 says, John was given a glimpse of the future. And he says, then I saw, Revelation 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. He, God, will dwell among men and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things are passed away. Verse 5, he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And John was given a command, write these words for they are faithful and true. We know the future. King Jesus will come and make all things right. He will make us new. We will spend eternity with Him. We will receive the inheritance of His glory. We will know Him as He is. We will reign with Him forever. But not yet. But with the same assurance... And the same confidence that we look back at His first coming, we look ahead to His triumphal second coming. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. That's what we root our hope in. Our hope is rooted in what pro- God promises to do, what God promises to bring when He returns, what it will mean for the people of God and for the nations in the world. God is making all things new. Listen, you and I, we, we know the end of the story. And that ought to give us immense confidence now. See, let me illustrate this real quick, and I'm going to share one final verse, and we're finished this morning. You guys know, and I probably talk about it too much, but you know I'm a, I'm a Dallas Cowboy fan. I like to watch the Cowboys, and all the non-Cowboy fans are like, ooh. Actually, it's a very good year to be a Dallas Cowboy fan, right? So anyway, my favorite way to watch Dallas, my family loves to watch the Cowboys on television. It's something fun we like to do together. One of my favorite, or my favorite way to watch Cowboy games is on the magic and the power of DVR, right? I love it. Two reasons. One, you can zip right past the commercials, and my other, other favorite thing to do is to watch the game on DVR when I already know who won. So I was watching the game not too long ago, and Dallas had won. I don't remember what game it was. It didn't matter because they won all of them. But anyway, it didn't matter. They, had, they were going to win, and I, I knew they were going to win. But at, the, at that point in the game, I was watching, it didn't look good. They had actually fallen behind. They were having penalties and mistakes and all this. Stuff. And it looked really dark. And as a fan, you have the tendency to get real agitated and real nervous and think, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And then I'm reminded wait a minute. I know how the story ends. So I can confidently and with great peace of heart and joy watch how things transpire. Watch this. Because I know the end of the story. You know the end of the story. And there will be highs and lows and ups and downs. But your hope must be rooted in the unfailing promises of what God has said in His word. And it's like watching a football game on DVR. You know the end of the story. Therefore... For your soul, it is an anchor. The hope that God gives in His Word through the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, last verse and we're done. Peter says, First 1 Peter 1.13 to a group of exiles and aliens and believers who were persecuted. They were in danger of losing everything they had. This was the early church. They had no Christian liberty or Christian freedom and he says to that group of early believers therefore prepare your minds for action keep sober in spirit keep sober in your thinking how peter by fixing your what hope completely on the grace To be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The end of the story. We know how it ends. King Jesus is coming to make all things right. He will call his people to himself. It's rooted in the promises of God. Fix your hope on what is eternal. Amen. Would you bow your heads for just a moment. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to stand and sing song of truth question for you this morning is where is your hope fixed what is it that you are trusting in looking forward to hoping in that you think is going to make everything better or right temporary things will always satisfy temporarily Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you when King Jesus returns. We are in the not yet. We wait, we long, we trust, and we walk with him by faith in his word. I want that for you. I pray that for each of you. King Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have come. And thank you that you are coming again. And Lord, we fix our hope daily, moment by moment, in the reality that you are coming one day to make all things new. And for that we praise you. In the great name of Jesus we pray.